Good morning and welcome. How are you? If you will, will you please turn to Revelation 21? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will make sure we get one to you. Well, we have come to the real good part of Revelation. I mean, God's truth is always good, right? But this is really good. This is really good for us because this is the future. And this is what we have to look forward to. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. If you follow along, I'll read. John writing says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Amen. For the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, Sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, the lake which burns with fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's pray. Lord, we, Lord, we come to a very exciting uh, part of this book of Revelation. Lord, this future, Lord, this eternal future. For it seems, Lord, so often we are so earthbound. But we thank you, Lord, that you work through your word and through the Holy Spirit. Lord, to give us an eternal perspective. And I pray that, Father, as we read this today, and as we look at it, Lord, for the next few weeks, that, Lord, you would just give us, Lord, a greater perspective of eternity. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us not to be so earthbound. Lord, uh, so focused, or too focused, Lord, we pray upon, Lord, all these things that we have to deal with presently. So, Father, I thank you for those that are here, and I pray also, Father, as we now uh, today come to the communion table, Lord, um, if there's something that, Lord, we need to just give over and let go of, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, how we praise you and how we thank you. Thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. And Lord, we pray for each and every one that's here, Lord, uh, that you would be speaking 
Lord, your truth, uh, I pray, into our hearts, into our lives. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we see this promise all the way through the Bible, uh, and that is uh, speaking of God making things new. Uh, we certainly come to find, find that out when we come to Christ, don't we? Uh, we, we see the newness that we've uh, experienced you know, as believers, um, and, and we see here this future promise uh, as well. Again, it, it's, it's all the way in the New Testament, in the, in the, new, uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, also uh, all the way through eternity into the future. And we have, kind of, uh, we have kind of slogged through all the difficult parts of this tribulation period, this time of judgment and, and bloodshed and suffering and so forth. Uh, and of course, last week when we got, we were in chapter 20, uh, we saw that the old earth, uh, the skies, the heaven, the galaxy just sort of fled away. Uh, and all there was was this, this, this massive white throne judgment. Uh, and standing before that judgment was those poor, wretched souls uh, that will stand, you know, in that white throne, that final judgment where there will be, uh, there will be basically, uh, there's no repeal, uh, there's no appeal out of that particular situation. Uh, yet as we come to chapters 21 and 22, we find that there's a, there's a transition, there's a wonderful change here, and we see a glorious new beginning. Um, these two final chapters, what we have is basically we have the consummation of all things. We have the fulfillment of all prophecy uh, that has been spoken. And we have the end result of redemption. In other words, the, the, the ultimate purpose for which God created us. Uh, that's why, you know, we, we understand as we look at uh, life in this world, as good as it can be in Christ, the fact of the matter is we have to remember that this is not the end. Um, this is temporary. Uh, life is but simply a vapor, the, re the Bible reminds us. Uh, so uh, our danger and the tension that we have as believers uh, is, getting, is living, you know, either you live for the world or you live for Christ. And, and you know, he calls us to live in relationship, in a vital living relationship with him. Uh, and that's a challenge. That, that's a big challenge because, you know, we have to pay the bills, we have to work, uh, we have to maintain things. And, uh, and the temptation is, is getting just bogged down and burdened down with all those particular things. Uh, but at the same time, he's called us yet to have those things in our life. And well, maybe sometimes, maybe not. You know, maybe sometimes there are certain things in our life that we need to just sort of relieve ourselves from. And sometimes um, there, can, there can come times in our life where if we're not willing to do that, maybe the Lord helps us to do that, if you know what I'm talking about where he helps us maybe to get certain things out of our life uh, uh, that are consuming too much of our life. Um, and, and we need to have a focus, you know, on the Lord and on our relationship with him. And, and when we think about this new heaven and this new earth, uh, this is an incredible thing. Uh, I think oftentimes we focus a lot on the heaven part. We don't really focus on the earth part, the new earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're not going to be just, you know, floating around on clouds uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, a lot of times when you think about eternity, you think about, you know, this, this kind of mystical, uh, supernatural, you know, spiritual heaven scene. And uh, there is going to be a heaven scene. It's going to be a new heaven, but there's also going to be a new earth. Now, as we look at these verses here, um, this is not a renovated old earth uh, that's sort of done over. It's a new one. It's fully fitted. It's equipped for eternity. But it's interesting, too, as we have some descriptions here, 
there may be more similarities than we realize. Um, the, the word here, earth, is an interesting word. It's, it's, it's uh, um, translated from the Greek, and it's the, word, it's, it's the letters G-E. Uh, and if you would pronounce it, it would be like J. Uh, but it's where we get the word geology uh, or geologist. Uh, also, too, this word geology, or je, comes out of the word, you know, when you talk about etymology and, and root, the roots, uh, you know, sometimes it's surprising to see some of the roots from, you know, some of the, you know, the common usage um, of words that we have today. It's interesting how they've so, sort of morphed and, and, and language has sort of evolved. But this word is interesting here, this word je, or, or g, earth, um, it's taken basically from the, word, from the word soil. So there's an implication there. And the implication is there's going to be biology and botany and there's going to be plant life. And again, we so focus on heaven that we ignore the fact there's going to be a glorious eternal earth. And whatever it's going to be, it's going to be so much better than this one. Uh, you know, you, 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 by the time uh, you know, we get to chapter 20 in Revelation, uh, in actual real time, this earth is, you know, this earth, even though it's been renovated, um, it, it's going to fulfill its purpose. And there's going to be a new heaven, new earth. And, one is, and, it's, and it's a heaven and earth that's going to last eternally, just like you and I are going to have eternal bodies. You're going to be equipped with a new body that is simply not going to wear out. So neither will the heaven and the earth. But there's one little drawback here if you like the ocean. Okay, we're told at the end of verse 21, there will be no more sea. In other words, there's not going to be any more oceans. And the reason there's not going to be any more oceans, they're not going to be needed. Uh, the, you know, all the, the scientists basically call us the water planet. Because 70% of the Earth's surface is water. Uh, we are basically, we are a water-based ecology. You cannot live, you cannot function really without water. So when you look at the ocean basins, uh, they serve a very distinct purpose. Um, they're giant reservoirs. Um, you, have, you have massive amount of evaporation. Evaporation goes up, becomes condensation, becomes clouds. Uh, the wind currents basically move the clouds you know, off of, the, off of the, you know, the oceans of the world and move them onto the land. Uh, and then you get basically rainfall. And the rainfall is designed to cleanse the earth, to cleanse the earth from its pollution, from its corruption. Uh, and it washes it down into the rivers, into the streams and into the rivers, and basically washes it into the ocean. And the ocean is basically a big sal saline beat, uh, a bath rather. Um, it's, a, you know, it's basically an antiseptic whereby the earth is being cleansed. That will not be needed because there will not be the pollution in the new heaven and new earth that, we have, that, that we're going to have in the future. Now, what is interesting uh, for a water source uh, we are told over in chapter 22, and we'll get there, but we're told there there's going to be a river that's going to flow from the throne of God. And, and I would suspect, there's <clears throat> a little bit of conjecture here, because we're not told, but anytime you have a river, you're probably going to have um, tributaries and so forth go off, that, off of that and water the new earth. Uh, and you'll, there'll probably be a series of lakes, maybe even great lakes, but there'll be fresh water lakes. There won't be any need for this saline solution that we have today because it's amazing, isn't it? What gets dumped into the ocean and gets cleansed? It's absolutely amazing. Um, and right now, if you've been following, uh, you know, some of the feeds that come off of Google and that sort of thing, the great uh, Pacific uh, uh, garbage patch, 
Uh, I don't know if you've heard about that, but uh, it's twice the size of the state of Texas. Uh, and it's basically a floating, like a floating island um, that is all plastics. And uh, the currents, you know, the, the major, I, I think, I, I forget what the, the Asian Pacific current has, has picked it up, and it's somewhere, somewhere uh, out there by, you know, in the uh, moving toward the northern Pacific. And you, when you look at some of the beaches, you ever look at some of the pictures of beaches around the world? The pollution is just really over the absolute top. And of course, if you've been following the news in the last couple of weeks, there was a young man that came up with an idea of, of how to basically, you know, cleanse and clean up the uh, Pacific Garden uh, patch, garbage patch rather. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting. But we're going to, this is not going to, there's not going to be any pollution uh, and contamination. Uh, and garbage problems in the new earth. That God's got that all taken care of. That is not going to be a particular problem. Now, as you move to verse 2, John here witnessing a very long-awaited event. And what he's seeing here is the arrival of the celestial city. Uh, this is basically our eternal home. And John sees it coming now out of heaven in vision. He says, I, John, saw the new Jerusalem uh, coming down out of heaven, uh, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, when you read about, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the father of the faithful Abraham, remember it says he looked for it? Some translation says he waited. He looked for that city. He was looking, and when you look at the book of, the book of Hebrews, and that's, I'm referring to chapter 11 in Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews is marked by a word, a specific word, and it's the word better. Because it's pointing us, it's pointing the Jews and the Old Testament sacrifices and that whole religious system to Christ. And so you find this word all the way through the book of Hebrews, better. And, and that's what we find in life, don't we? That God, when we come to him, he always has something better. No matter what may be presently taking place in your life. And the fact is, we're often reminded we live in a fallen world. And we have to deal with fallen situations and sinful people, and all those kinds of things. And, and these things touch our life. These things, you know, uh, you know affect us and impact us uh, a lot of times more than we would like them to. Uh, but as we look to Jesus Christ, and as we give our situation to Him, and we trust Him, He's always got something better. Remember this, no matter what your plan is, He's got a better plan. We learn that, don't we? We learn that by the crash and burn of our plans, uh, I've oftentimes referred to as the plans of mice and men. And, uh, and oftentimes that's where my plans are. They're very small. And, uh, and I thank God where, where at times, you know, he, is, he has trashed my plan. Um, and I thought his plan, you know, was a, was a lesser plan. It ended up being a much, much better plan. And he's always got something better for the child of God. That's why you need to trust him. That, that's why we need to continue to look to him. We want him to guide us. We want him to direct us. We want him to be working in our relationships and our friendships and everything because, you know, he's got something better. I was at one of the tables uh, uh, between services talking to a bunch of guys, uh, and they were talking about relationships and marriage, and, and, uh, and uh, the one guy was saying, well, I had to wait 29 years for my wife. It's amazing. And, and he, he, he got married when he was in his 60s. Uh, he was married before and went through a divorce, and, and uh, tw he said, I, he said, I, he said, and the, the point that I was bringing out to these, these guys here were talking about, you know, relationships and, and who God has for them and that sort of thing, and I was, I was telling them the example of, of, of Adam and Eve, and that's, I think that's a, a very important example for, 
God to bring that person to you, just like he brought Eve to Adam. And, uh, and so uh, one of the other guys kind of, you know, the, the conversation was kind of going back and forth. He says, well, what about when, you know, you've, you've gotten in the wrong relationship? And, uh, and I said, well, you know what? When we commit it to God, God can work it out. Uh, and it's interesting. We have, don't we have examples of all that stuff through the Bible? And what I'm talking about is David and Bathsheba. Did, did, has there ever been a relationship that started off on the wrong foot? Okay. You can't get any more wrong than that. Okay. Uh, he seduces her. Uh, then he murders her husband. Uh, and, and we know that God takes the child from that initial from that relationship. But the next child is Solomon, beloved of the Lord. And he becomes, that relationship becomes a part of the royal line. So the thing is, as we give our situation to God, uh, he betters it. He can always work in a situation if there's faith and when we're willing to entrust him and to give to him our particular situation. Because sometimes, you know, whatever our situation, we think, well, you know what? Uh, you know, God can't work in this situation. Oh, yeah, he certainly can. Um, a lot of times we, we you know, we may not want him to work. We may just want to get out of this situation, but he wants us to trust him and to look to him and allow him to do, you know, what he and he alone can do. So again, Abraham, he, he looked for a city uh, whose foundations and maker uh, were God. And, and when you think about this future world we're talking about here today, whatever this world has been, and again, this is an understatement, but whatever this world has been, that world is going to be at least a thousand times better. And I said, that's an understatement. Again, he's always got something better. So don't, don't lay all your eggs, you know, in the basket of this life. Okay, don't invest all your time and your money and, every, and all the energies of your life in this life. You, we need to be invested in the kingdom, okay? That's why, like Abraham, you know, he, wasn't, he wasn't nestled into this, you know, this world. He lived in a tent. You're, it's amazing, the father of the faithful, he lived in a tent his entire life. Because why? He, was ex he had an expectation of something better. Uh, and we see it here, uh, actually, before us. Now, the word here, interesting, that we find in this text of verse 2 is prepared. Remember Jesus used that same word in John chapter 14, too? He said, remember, I go and what? Prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be there also. And, and when you think about, you know, the preparation of this new heaven and new earth, that's really what Jesus is preparing. That's what he's been working on. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be absolutely glorious. You know, Paul brings this out too over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, I has not seen. He's quoting, actually, he's quoting an Old Testament uh, verse of Scripture there. I don't have the reference here, but I know that. I has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has got prepared for those who love him. We can't, you know, it's, it's, it's even hard for us to imagine. Now, verse 10, in the context of Corinthians uh, uh, 2, says he's begun to reveal those things to us by his spirit. But I'll tell you what, folks, we're, all we're getting, we're getting, we see that, we see all that in germ form. It, it's in germ form. It's going to be so incredible, so awesome. And I think that we as Christians, as God's people, we need to think more about heaven. We don't think, we don't think, I think we too, think too much about this life, about surviving, you know, about, you know, just, you know, making it from one day to the other, week, week to week. 
But we really do need to think about heaven. It's going to be a glorious thing. And that's why we want to think about heaven because you know what? We want to live for that. We're living for another kingdom. That, that's why Jesus commissioned us to go ye into all the world. What? And tell people, preach the kingdom. This life is brief. This life is, is so transitory, so, te so temporary and temporal. So often I'm talking to people and it's like, I was talking to some, some, some gal this morning as she was leaving and she was saying, yeah. She says, I don't, life is just going by so quickly. I think we, we can all say that, can't we? Where, where you look back at, you know, your certain uh, points in your life, um, you know, when you were 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, or graduated from high school or college, or um, I, was saying, I was just thinking yesterday, I was just sitting out thinking around, thinking about, uh, uh, we were, and, and I, tell this to, I tell this to young parents, to really enjoy your children while you have them because you have them in such a short period of time. I, I look back and, you know, sometimes when you're in the throes of diapers and feeding kids and, you know, um, kids always fussing and fighting, you know, if you have a big family, you got to deal with that. And, um, uh, but how quick it went. And, and now um, our grandkids are teenagers and it's just hard to believe you know, you think you, you think at a certain point you're never gonna you know you're never gonna get out of that time frame, but how quickly life just passes by, and uh, and we you know what we need to invest for Christ, we we really need to live for Him as much as we can. I I and again I said like I said there's always a tension there there's a tension there between you know working, um, you know you know being a parent or being a spouse to somebody, and all the other responsibilities of life. But even in the midst of all that, we can still glorify God. We can still serve Him. We can still focus upon Him and what He wants us to do. I think that's very critical, very important. And He sees also, too, this, this city as a bride. And there's something about a wedding. I've done a number of weddings. That when a bride comes in, there's a focus. Everybody's focused on the bride. And He sees this celestial city as a bride adorned uh, for her husband. Now, John here hears a loud announcement here in verse 3, and I think this is very important because it fulfills many different prophecies. And when you think of, about it fulfilling many different prophecies, they're key prophecies. They're very important prophecies. They're prophecies that speak about the fact that of what God's purpose is in creation, what God's purpose is for mankind, what God's purposes are in redemption. He says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Remember, we were singing that song this morning about the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, we have that three different times, that with them, with them. Isn't it glorious to know, you know, in a sense, yes, we have God in our lives. But, but this, this future time that John is pointing to, it's going to be a time where, where, where God is going to be visible in a physical sense that we can walk with him, we can talk with him, we can touch him, we can experience him. Yes, we experience him now in a very spiritual way, but yet it's a very limited way. But there's this future day coming. And even, even as you go back, all the way back in the law, in Leviticus 26, 
uh, it speaks about how God will dwell in the midst of his people. Uh, Zechariah prophesies later uh, to the nation when he says this, about many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. They shall become my people, and I will dwell in their midst. And then you, and I think here, this, then you, I think he's speaking particularly to the Jews because they didn't recon, recognize his Messiahship. He says, then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. I don't think that's necessarily, um, yes, it may have some reference there to Zechariah, but I, I think that it, it, it's prophetic and it goes beyond him, uh, speaking of the Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, I've always felt that the, the apostles had such an incredible privilege. You know, when you read the Gospels, you can't help but thinking, well, what it must have been like, you know, to walk with the Lord and experience, you know, his miracles and all the things that he did. Uh, and then to be there, you know, on the day of Pentecost, to get infused, you know, initially with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, you know, that was all temporary. What we're going to experience is eternal. That was all temporary. That's gone. That's past. As, as wonderful as it was, it was temporary. So, yes, we're going to have great privilege and to be honored by the fact that we will be able to experience our, our, our dwelling, our walking, you know, with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 4, we have an awesome promise. Um, this is something that many pastors share uh, at funeral services uh, because oftentimes uh, there's a lot of crying, you know, the loss, the pain, of uh, losing a loved one. And you know, when you think about the history of man, it really, been, it has, it really has been a history of tears. It's been a history of tears and suffering, uh, interspersed you know, with, with moments of joy and that sort of thing. But no matter how good somebody's life is, no matter how good that life may be, and we, we do our best to make life good, and we should, but no matter how good it is at the end of everyone's life, their loved ones are standing over them while they're lowered in the grave. And look at this promise. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And in that new heaven and new earth, there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has absorbed death for us. Isaiah tells us what he's carried our sorrows. No more sin, no more failure. You know, there's been times where I've thought about, you know, the eternal state, the eternal condition. And you thought, gee whiz, because you, you, we, we know how weak we are now, don't we? we? We understand oftentimes our weakness, our vulnerabilities, our proclivities. And sometimes, and I, you know, um, I, it's hard for me to imagine myself not doing certain things, certain failures, certain weaknesses, but they'll be gone. Then we, there, there will not be a capability. I don't think that the new body's going to have tear ducts because <laughs> there'll be no crying. There's not going to be any, any, any particular sorrow. Nothing to cry about. You know, think about it. No more doctors. No more prescriptions. 
No more RG&E bills. That will be heaven. No more taxes. No more medications. No more funerals. No more burying anybody. No more losses of that particular nature. Now in verse 5, we're reminded of a promise that has never failed. It is a promise that has transformed many lives throughout history. You see Abraham, you see Moses, you see David, Peter, and Paul. But really, we have to ask ourselves, are we being transformed? Is the Spirit of God changing us? That's what transformation is. Is there a transformation, you know, taking place, you know, in our life? But we're, we're, we're told, you know, this, this uh, biblical uh, term, theological term of sanctification. Whereas that we're being changed, we're being made, are we becoming more like Christ? Is that really, truly taking place, you know, within our life and within our experience? Because listen to what he says in verse 5. As he sits on the throne, I make all things new. Aren't you thankful for the new beginnings that we have in Jesus Christ? I am so thankful for the new beginnings, for the fresh faith. And I think there comes a, a, a times in our experience where we're barren, where we're feeling empty, where it's like, man, I need a new beginning. Lord, I need your intervention in my life, in my family, in my particular situation. And this is one of the things that I'm constantly continually thankful for because he's a God who gives new beginnings. Sometimes we look at our situation and we think, well, there's no hope for this situation. You can be involved in a relationship or in a situation that never seems to change. You can be dealing with a whole lot of unbelief around you. And I'll tell you what, it impacts you, it affects you. We oftentimes get so discouraged and beat up by our circumstances. But he's the God who gives new beginnings. He does new things. Maybe you need that. Maybe you've been praying about that. Lord, I need a breakthrough. Lord, I need to see things change. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him for fresh faith? We need to look to him. Yet, yes, this is future, but also, too, this is a present truth for today. What did, uh, what did, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? He said, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. See, that's for us. And that begins for us when we come to Christ, when we give our lives to Him. But also, too, it's taking place, isn't it? On a constant, continual basis, as we're trusting Him, as we're looking to Him, as we're walking with Him. I, I think sometimes situations happen in our life, and we really stop walking with Him. It's not, even, it's not even so much intentional. But it's almost a consequence of the fact that maybe we're in a trial, we're in a situation that we're struggling with. And, and there, there's times where we come to different places where we think, where's the Lord? 
Where, where's the Lord in this? And you feel kind of all alone in it. I think there's a lot of folks that just sort of, they, they just sort of give up. They kind of surrender to the circumstances. He's the God who makes all things new. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to look to him. You see, he's a miracle-working God. I don't agree with that theology that relegates miracles to just biblical times. As a matter of fact, when you look even in the Old Testament, some of the worst times, with some of the worst times of spiritual declension, God comes on the scene like an Elijah or an Elisha. I think he can work those miracles as we trust him. I look at my own life. I think my life is a series of a lot of little miracles. <laughs> See, a miracle is simply God's intervention in a situation. <laughs> that, that he supersedes the natural. That, that he works in a situation that cannot possibly change because of the humanity in that situation or the, the unbelief in that situation or whatever the case may be. Maybe you need a new beginning. Maybe your situation is just kind of worn you out. Well, he can begin that today. He can begin that today. Are you willing to relinquish that? To by faith give it over to him? I think a lot of times, I know this from my own experience, you know, when we're going through things like that, we just hold on to things. There's a fear of letting go, the fear of losing control. You know, God calls us to him to, to turn our lives over, to relinquish, to surrender. I think the Christian life is a series of surrenders. They can be smaller surrenders and bigger surrenders. <laughs> and sometimes the, the, the struggle goes on and the depression deepens. And we can't, you know, sometimes you get, into, get it to, to, a, to a certain kind of degree where you can't even see what's got you to that point. So it's hard to let go of that until God reveals what it is that we just need to surrender and release and turn it over to him. Behold, I make all things new. Right for these words are faithful and true. When we think, think about the eternal state, there's a series of questions that often come up. And I wanted to address a few of them this morning. The first one is, and this is usually first and foremost, is what about my loved ones that don't accept Christ? What about my loved ones that, are, that die in their unbelief? As I've thought about that, I've thought about, I've got, I've got a number of question marks. And as I think about it presently, I have sadness about it. 
And I think that when I get there, there's going to be some faces I'm looking for. But will we be sorrowful in eternity if they're not there? The Bible answers this. Over in uh, Isaiah 65, it's 65, 17. I'll read it to you. You can jot it down. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. But in verse 17, the Lord says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So that former basically refers to all of that. We're not even going to have the capacity to remember those things that once made us sorrowful. Some of those things that actually maybe make us sorrowful today. As we look at certain loved ones living in a certain way or loved ones who have died already and we have a question mark regarding their life. You and I are not going to have that capacity to be sorrowful to remember That'll just simply not be a part of our new makeup. Now, the other question people often ask is, how old will I be in eternity? Some people die as children. Some people die like Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed at 99 years old. So oftentimes the, the, the question is, is what am I, am I, you know, when I die, is my body going to look like that? You know, just sort of, you know, glammed up a little bit, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Uh, are, are we going to have, you know, those that have died as children are going to be in, in eternity as, ch as children? I, I don't think so. Uh, it, it's interesting, too. I think, that, I think the Bible, uh, in different ways, gives us some hints, you know, about those kinds of things. And uh, we, it's interesting that we have in the Bible examples of when somebody comes into the fullness of God's purpose for, for their life and for their ministry. The first example is the Old Testament priest. They became a priest at what? 30 years old. 30 to 50. They had a 20-year run on their priesthood. But it wasn't until they were considered uh, fully capable for that ministry until they were 30 years old. Uh, also, too, we find uh, Joseph, what? He becomes a prime minister at what? 30 years old. David becomes a king at 30 years old. The Lord Jesus Christ comes into his ministry at 30 years old. So you got my point. I think, I think we're probably going to have a body that's very close to about 30 years old. Fully mature type of body. Glorious. I hope better looking. For me, anyway. I can't speak about you. I'm not speaking about you. I'm speaking for me. You know how we all look in the mirror and think, you know, I can only uh, improve this or that or the other thing. And uh, No, you just got to live with it. I'm sorry. But you get, you're getting a better model. Whatever it is, it's going to be really spiffy. Now, here's a big one. I hear this one all the time. What about my pets? Will there be animals in heaven? It's like there's some people, they can't live without their pets, okay? And uh, I, I think we have a hint of that. In chapter 19, when we have horses. We have horses coming out of heaven. Remember? The Lord, you know, on his white steed. And we're following on horses. I, I think that's a hint. And what's also interesting 
is remember the animal creation is a part of the original creation. And Paul tells us over in Romans chapter 8 that basically the entire creation will be delivered from the bondage of sin. You know, the animal animal realm was so different before Adam and Eve sinned. Um, And remember in Isaiah, we gave a couple examples there, you know, of um, the lion and the lamb laying down together, uh, that there isn't any ferocity or uh, any fear there that animals are going to have. And they're going to be, you know, there's going to be, you know, in that, that's a millennial kingdom, though. That's not speaking necessarily uh, I, don't, I don't think, um, you know, of the future state. It may be. It could, it could be, it could be a, um, a prophetic of that as well, of not only the particular uh, um, uh, millennial kingdom. But here's an author. I want to read to you a little piece. Uh, and I think he's really on to something here. He says, We understand that when Jesus died on the cross, it was to atone the sin for the sins of mankind. And to provide salvation for every person who believes by faith. Jesus did not die on the cross for fallen angels, as we read in Hebrews 2.16. Nor did he die for animals. But here's here's something to consider. The death of, of Christ on the cross did provide for future removal of the curse of sin. And when that curse is done away with, it will include liberating the animal kingdom from bondage in that curse. So indirectly, the cross, the cross of Christ benefits and blesses the animal kingdom. But in no way does it affect the angels. I think the key that unlocks the whole question is found in the Garden of Eden. When God created the world, he created mankind, the animals, and nature. And all of that creation is connected. And I firmly believe that all of it will be restored in the new earth when God uh, makes all things new. And more specifically, what about our beloved pets, Fido and Fluffy? Well, Will Rogers once said, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went. (laughs) Mark Twain put it this way, heaven goes by favor. In other words, heaven goes by grace. Uh, If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. (laughs) I find that, that that's good. Um, so not to any neglect of any of our cat living friends, some anonymous person wrote, thousands, thousands of years ago, cats were worshipped as gods, and apparently they've never forgotten that. Um, uh, here, here's another interesting um, conjecture. Okay, we're not on biblical ground here. <laughs> this is conjecture. But what about if the Lord resurrected our favorite pets. Now, there's a few pets I don't want him to resurrect, that's for sure. <laughs> One's named Molly. <laughs> but you know, his grace is so incredible, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a resurrection of um, our favorite pets. But again, don't count on that. But I do believe, I do believe that there will be animals. Uh, remember, we're talking here about a new earth. We, we, we are so focused on heaven, we don't even think about a new earth. There is going to be a new earth. And again, as we looked at uh, the word earth, there's going to be a biology there, by implication. There, there's botany and biology. So it only makes sense 
uh, that there, is, there will be animals. Um, and what a glorious thing that will be. Um, I love dogs, uh, but I love them better when they're your dogs than my dogs. And, uh, uh, and, and the reason I, 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 we've had so many pets and dogs, we have, we, we've had everything. We have cats, we've had dogs, we've had fish, we've had birds, um, everything practically imaginable we've had. Um, and I've always, we've, except for two dogs, we had like four different boxers, and I love boxers. Um, but I, 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 have a, I have trouble with dogs today because of allergies. And uh, I, I'm so often I'm thinking about, yeah, I wish I had a dog around kind of a thing. So um, when we were in South Carolina, uh, our, our kids just bought a dog. And so it was kind of nice for us being there for the week because we got our dog fixed. It's like after being there for a week, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't need a dog anymore. <laughs> I got my fill. It's, it's, that's good. We'll move on type of thing. Now, we want to look at, uh, in closing here, uh, verse 8 before we move into verse 6 and 7. Um, and it says here, these will be excluded uh, from that new Jerusalem, uh, from the, 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 the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, he says, they're the, they're the cowardly, the fearful, those that were too fearful to confess the name of Christ. Uh, the unbelieving, those hardened in their unbelief and rejection of Christ. The abominable, uh, those who are just live in a detestable and a diabolical way. Murderers, speaks for itself. Sexually immoral. I think this is heterosexual, and I think this is also homosexual. Uh, sorcerers, uh, this includes not only the occult, but remember, as we spoke before, it speaks to those who would take drugs. Um, remember, this word here in, the, in its original is pharmakia. Uh, the idea is, is people who would you know, mix potions uh, to get in touch with the supernatural. And that's why so often we see, even with some of the powerful uh, psych drugs and prescription drugs, uh, people wanting to commit suicide, um, and all kinds of aberrational kinds of a thing, things that take place from taking drugs. Uh, idolaters. Um, you know, Paul gives us, you know, some, some people think it's, well, just worshiping some little figurine. <laughs> uh, it's much different from that. It's having just a possessiveness, you know, just, uh, you know, almost, uh, you know, wanting to uh, have, you know, have things all the time. Um, you know, God wants to free us from idolatry. Uh, we find that uh, we tend to, our, our hearts tend to cleave and go after things. We think they're going to make us happy. And, and we have things, but we have to make sure that things don't possess us. That sometimes, you know, God tells us with our things, you know, let this go. You, you, need, to, you need to jettison this, you need to get rid of this. And, uh, and then he says, all liars. Interesting, you know, all liars. Um, shall have their part in the lake of fire, a lake which burns with fire, and this is the second death. Now, here's the thing. It is true that we have all, at one time or another, committed these sins. Amen? But what's it talking about? It's talking about those who basically, they have made this their lifestyle. They have practiced these things on a regular basis, in a deliberate kind of way. Yes, we may fall into sin here and there, but because the Spirit of God is, is in us, He will not let it leave us there. Whenever we sin, there's a, there's a conviction. And, 
And, and I only hope and pray that that conviction works right away to get us to the cross, to get us to confess and get cleansed, you know, from our sins. Um, but again, these are those who practice this stuff on a regular, deliberate basis. These are the kind of things where people say, I can't live without it. I can't live without my immorality. You know, I can't live without my stuff. Uh, I can't live without, you know, I, 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 I know I tend to, ha I tend to lie, but uh, I just simply can't live without it. Um, and it just proves that they're truly, they truly don't belong to God, that God's spirit is not in them. Now, as we come to verse 6 and 7, we, we find that these words were echoed by our Lord on the cross when he says here, and we were singing this earlier, it is done. And remember, Jesus said what? It is finished. And he was basically speaking about that, you know, the, the, that foundational work um, you know, of, the, of redemption on the cross. Now, what is this, what's, he, what's he mean by saying it is done now? But because now we are, all, we are finally home. We are finally safe. The redemption process is finally complete. But it was done. The work of it was done on the cross uh, itself. And Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega. The third time he said it, I'll say it again in chapter 22. He's the author, the finisher. He's the beginner, the ender. Remember Paul says to us in uh, Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it until the day of redemption. He, he's working presently in your life to finish the good work that, that he's done. And, and, you know, in another place, you know, Paul says that we're his po poema. We're his work of art. Sometimes you don't feel like a work of art, do you? I remember my kids when they used to get a hold of, we used to give them paper and crayons and they used to kind of scribble it all up and just make all kinds of abstract, crazy different things. Sometimes your life feels like that. But no, he says, you're his work of art. And, and, the, and the picture of our life is not finished. He's adding little touches here and there. You ever see that guy on PBS? He was a Christian. He kind of had to fro. Bob what? Bob Ross, yeah. And I, used to, I used to love watching him because I just loved seeing it all come together. And he'd be doing this. I was like, what are you putting that color on there for? That's not right, you know, kind of a thing. And then he'd throw a little more color in and off his palette there, and he'd mix it around, and he'd start daubing it, and all of a sudden it takes shape. It's like, wow, that's beautiful. I didn't think our lives are like that at times. It just seemed like... Uh, you know, they're, they're a canvas, and it's just got a bunch of messed up paint on it. But no, you're his work of art. You're going to complete that good, good work that he's begun in each one of us. And I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes shall inherit all things. <laughs> you ever hear somebody say, and maybe you've said this, I've never inherited anything. Maybe that's your story. You never inherited anything. Hey, you're going to get all things. You're going you're gonna to get the mother load. You're going to get all things. And again, he renews his promise. You know, Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Says it in Isaiah 55. To his people of old. 
He, says it, he said it in John 7.37 and John 7.38. On the last day, the great day of the feast. Let me, uh, let me quote it to you. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And it was the same day the priest would come out and he'd take this big pitcher and he'd pour out water. And it spoke of basically the provision that God had for his people in the, in the wilderness. And Jesus is right there and he's prophesying. And he's saying, come to me and I'll slack your thirst. Come to me and I'll feed your hunger. This morning, as I was getting ready, the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. Just spoke a word to my heart. Sometimes the Lord just gives you kind of a word. And uh, I knew we would be having communion. And the Lord, excuse me, the word the Lord spoke to me was that there would be some people today that would have burdens. And people that are just wearied of, of, of carrying them. And as we come to the communion table, we can continue to carry our burdens right out of here today. But as we come before the Lord, by faith, not because of feeling, but by faith to relinquish and to give over to him your burden. You know, it says uh, about Jesus, messianic promise over in Isaiah, that the government will be upon his shoulders. And there's a lot of things that we try to carry on our shoulders, but they're too heavy. They weigh us down and they wear us out. But as we by faith relinquish and give over to him our troubles, our trials, our burdens, whatever they may be, that there's a transaction that takes place. He takes the burden. He takes the perplexing problem. He takes the situation and he gives in its place his peace. And we're told it's a peace that surpasses our understanding or a peace that surpasses our trying to figure it out on our own. Do you ever notice with the Lord, there's so many things we can't figure out. And we try to do it. He just says, give it to me. Turn it over to me. He says, my, you know, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And if you take it, take it upon you, you will find rest for your souls. That's an, rest is another term for peace. So I'm going to ask the ushers and the worship team to come up. And as the elements are being distributed, we're going to pray afterwards. But just offer up whatever it is Whatever the issue is, give it to him. Let go of it. Say, Lord, I'm giving it to you by faith. It doesn't operate by feelings. It operates by faith where we entrust and we give. Not only do we start that process by giving our life, our heart to him, but turning over to him the burdens, the problems, the situations that are too great for us. So let's worship.
so grateful and thankful, Lord, for the cross, that as you call us to the cross, you call us to that place of forgiveness, Lord, that place of cleansing, Lord, it's a place of renewal and restoration, and so we come and we give you thanks, Lord, and also, Father, we come to, to bring our burdens. Lord, there's so many things that we try to fix and we can't fix. There are situations in life that they don't seem like they ever go away. But we know that, Lord, when your grace comes, that it becomes the shock absorber. Mm -hmm. That in your grace, Lord, is power to be renewed 
Lord, power for a breakthrough, for a new beginning, for fresh grace and fresh faith. And Lord, we come to you this morning. And so often the case, Lord, we not even sure how we need to be fixed, but we know we do. And so, dear Lord, as we, we come, we give ourselves to you afresh. And all the baggage that we have, give it to you, Lord. And we pray that there would be indeed that transaction. That there would be a rest and a peace that would come upon our hearts and minds. Lord, enabling us to see things from an entirely different perspective. Lord, give us your perspective. Lord, Paul speaks about having the mind of Christ. And I pray that for us, dear Lord, that we would be able to look through the lens of faith and see our situation entirely different. Because, Lord, we've given it to you. We've trusted you. We believe that you're able, Lord, to take these things and to impart to us a grace that is so wonderful that it's transformational. So, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your broken body. Lord, that we might have wholeness. So let us partake of the bread. And Lord, we thank you for your precious blood to cleanse and renew. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. And Lord, as we, we ponder a new heaven and a new earth, give us, I pray, Father, a new and heavenly perspective mm -hmm. that we wouldn't be so earthbound, so fixated and focused on all the things, Lord, down here, but to realize, Lord, we have a glorious and awesome eternity with you and that we might live, Lord, in fellowship with you, Lord, daily walking with you, hearing your word, experiencing, Lord, even though it be in germ form, experiencing, Lord, that revelation of who you are and all that you do. So we say thank you. Thank you so very, very much. Uh, let us drink together. God bless you. May he bless your week. May he help you by his spirit to walk with him. Amen. Amen. Let's all rise.